inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining today. Today we have a guest who is going to show us some very innovative ways to deal with the fear of speaking. So let me introduce you, Elisa Di Napoli. Elisa Di Napoli has been a full-time integrative clinical hypnotherapist since 2001, her practice expanding across New Zealand and Scotland. Her work places a great deal of importance on positive mental health neurolinguistic psychology, and holistic coaching. She studied hypnotherapy at the prestigious Hypnotherapy Training Institute of Northern California, training with world-renowned teachers, Randon Churchill and Ormond McGill. She is among the first practitioners to embrace the innovative discipline of hypnotic coaching. She is a drummer and an accomplished singer-songwriter with 20 years of performance experience and 11 albums under her belt. Her background includes philosophy, art, comparative religion, music performance, and acting. Hello, Elisa. Hi. Welcome to the show, Elisa. Thank you. Thank you, Oscar. What you are doing lately is truly fascinating. So I would like to know how, what was your journey? to uh, what you are today? Yeah, so um, my journey, I guess, started about 20 years ago or so. Um, I decided I wanted to to be a singer-songwriter, and I was also starting my journey into hypnotherapy at the same time. But I discovered very quickly that I suffered from performance anxiety, mm-hmm. and performance anxiety is basically the fear of that that you can have and the anxiety that you can experience on stage where it, it is because you have to give a speech or because you have to uh, sing a song uh, or it could be you know going for an interview or any time where you're basically being seen and heard and this uh, experience well i didn't really know what it was at the time because i was quite young and but it really started, I uh, found out later, um, when I was 16 and I uh, um, fell in love with with song, with singing and playing. And I was at a school assembly um, and basically after a concert, I got so excited about the performance that I wanted to tell the entire school assembly <laughs> what a wonderful inspiration it had been. Um, when I raised my hand and I was given the the microphone, I basically froze. I could not, uh, for the life of me, remember the words I was going to say. And and it was quite, uh, you know, a humiliating experience at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize how it would affect me, though. Uh, but it did. And for many years afterwards, I couldn't really... Uh, enjoy my performances. I would tremble, you know, my the piece of paper in my hand would tremble if I had to, you know, read a speech or if I had to sing a song. I would feel really, really nervous beforehand, and I 
tried pretty much everything to to try and combat this. And uh, nothing really worked. You know, I tried beta blockers. Uh, people that have this kind of anxiety um, may know what beta blockers are. They're basically something you take that's supposed to help with the nerves. But in my experience, it didn't really help in the sense that it just made me feel very detached from what I was doing. Um, sure, I didn't feel anxiety, but I also didn't feel any enjoyment or excitement, you know. I tried uh, drinking a glass of wine beforehand, mm. and that didn't work either. In fact, it made me forget my words even more, oh. my chord, the chords of my songs even more, and so on and so forth. I tried improv, I tried doing acting workshops, and although all of these things, you know, in some degree, you know, the, the, the improv did work a little bit, but it didn't really completely cure me, if you like. And then, and then, even though I was doing hypnotherapy at the same time it didn't really occur to me for some strange reason to actually use hypnotherapy to help myself and at the time I wasn't meeting a lot of people with this problem and um, and then it got so bad basically that I almost gave up completely singing and uh, you know that wasn't really an option because it's something I really love mm. to do and as a result of that, I decided to to do something about it that was a little bit different. And I thought, well, what if hypnotherapy can help me? So I went and, and um, asked uh, one of my colleagues for help. And I got a couple of sessions. And and for sure, um, something did shift, but it's, it still wasn't enough. So... I went and asked other colleagues, and each one gave me a different perspective and added a piece uh, of the puzzle to the picture. And I started understanding that it was all about the mindset. You know, it was about trying to understand how do people perform in public feel when they are really comfortable? You know, what is it that, how do they think? And what do they do differently? Um, and I realized it was a lot about the mindset. I was stuck in this judgmental, critical mindset where I, uh -huh. I thought everybody, you know, had to be perfect. Otherwise, mm. people would think I was just not good enough. And so uh, to cut a long short story short, I, um, I started studying more and more and more um, this subject. And I started asking, actually, clients to come and work with me so that I could understand it from their perspective. And I put together this body of work. But it's still, you know, I still suffered a little bit from the problem. And, and I thought, uh, and, and so the answer to me, uh, the answer came when I was talking to uh, another colleague. And this colleague said to me, look, you've got all the answers already. You've, you've done the work, you've helped other people, but you're not applying these principles to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I realized well, he was absolutely right. You know, I was waiting for somebody else to save me rather than yeah. actually taking responsibility and saving myself, like I said, I, I was always telling my clients to do. So I thought, okay, I need to apply these principles and what's a better way than, you know, writing a book about it, making an online course, and then actually focus on this so much and listen to my own hypnotic audios so that I know it's going to work because I can see it working on my clients. So I did that, and it took a bit of time, but it absolutely worked. And, and now, you know, I am, I'm glad to say that 
sure I might get a little bit nervous, but it's mm. absolutely nothing like it used to be. And actually, I enjoy mm. now being on stage because I've shifted the whole my old perspective from a perspective of judgment and critical uh, of the audience being critical to a perspective of connection, sharing, you know, a giving of myself. And so that's where I am now. Wow, that's quite quite interesting story and and it's interesting that you struggle all this all these years. You you wanted of course to be the artist, the the singer, the performer. And you didn't give up. Good that you didn't. Yeah. And <laughs> and it caught my attention that you were from early on your career also involved or interested in, in hypnotherapy. So why you were interested at, at that time, even though it was far from being the, your ultimate cure? Well, I mean, I was interested in hypnotherapy because um, I studied uh, studied comparative religion and philosophy, right? Mm. And uh, I moved from philosophy, from uh, Western philosophy to Eastern philosophy. And then that got me into mystical, the mystical traditions. And I started thinking, oh, I want to learn about um, religion. And then I basically, from religion, I went into studying altered states of consciousness. And, you know, because in religion, uh, there's shamanism as one of the religions I was, you would, you shouldn't really call it a religion, but, you know, it's a, it's a mode. It's one of the oldest ones that you can really find in the world. And that involves a state of trance. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, so um, what's a modern altered state of consciousness that's similar to shamanic trance? And that got me into hypnosis, you know, and I thought, okay, well, I want to study this. So that is how I got into um, into hypnotherapy. And then I decided to become um, an actual therapist and help other people with it. Yes, fabulous. And you are, how, how many years you already since you had this ha moment and you cure for yourself until now? Oh, okay. Um Well, it's actually been fairly recent, you know, I would say three years because mm -hmm. it took me so long. It's like being a fish in a fish in water doesn't recognize that it's in the water. You know, <laughs> I just I was always surrounded yes. by by this, you know, by, by hypnosis and hypnotherapy. But I just never thought of applying it, applying this specifically to this problem in myself. Sure, sure. And could you... Um... It's not. Uh, it's not a bad idea to to ask you uh, how you describe a, a hypno hypnosis. Uh, in, in, like in, in short, what yeah. is hypnosis? Well, you know, hypnosis is a very natural um, state of mind. We think, you know, when we think of hypnosis, we think, oh, stage hypnosis, you know. And the, there's a big uh, misconception there because really, um, in stage hypnosis, it's it's a show, you know, and The aim of stage hypnosis is to basically wow the audience and make them feel like uh, the subject is um, under the power and the spell of somebody else, the hypnotist. But mm -hmm. the reality is that actually uh, that's an illusion. And we okay. are in an hypnotic state every day of our lives. You know, for example, mm -hmm. when we go to sleep or when we wake up from sleep, that stage in which we are aware of the outside world, but we don't really care 
And so I, I guess the way I describe it to my clients in short is always a, a state of, of inner focus mm-hmm. and uh, relaxation. You don't need to be relaxed but uh, to be hypnotized but you know it's it's nicer and better if you can be relaxed but the important thing is that an inward focused state of concentration Hmm. i'd say interesting yes and also still in the basics how would you define fear of speaking for instance in your case there was one way of uh, manifesting this fear of speaking How, how would you describe in uh, in general well okay well i think you know fear of speaking is basically a fear of being seen which would result in rejection you know mm-hmm. at the end of the day is fear of rejection mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where whether it's uh is fear of speaking or fear of of performing um, a song or or even a, being in an interview because all of these situations have in common the fact that you are performing you know you're being watched and 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 so the danger is that you might be judged and criticized and therefore cast out and rejected you know and that's like a very normal fear to have because you know um from the developmental point of view as humans you know if we uh, back in the day were cast out of a tribe you know we would we could die and so it's mm. pretty normal to have this fear um, but it's when it's exaggerated, when it's when it's over the top, that it mm. becomes a problem. Sure, yeah, I, a lot about thinking of rejection. I I, I agree on, on that. Uh, I think well, everybody feels that some point, in and some people more yeah. than others. <laughs> so n- now that you're a coach and you're helping people to mitigate or beat uh, the fear of speaking, among other other similar uh, problems. How you do that? Tell us a bit that how you're helping people to overcome this fear of speaking. So um, the first thing that I do is I need to explain to any client um, a basics, basic concepts, you know, and I would explain, first of all, um, what conditioning is and how the mind works, um, what hypnosis is. And then I would explain the fight or flight process because at the pretty much um at the when we are on stage and we have this anxiety we're uh, uh, what's happening is that the the fight or flight response is being triggered and we need to actually understand what's happening there i would then explain how to diffuse this uh you know any panic um and switch off the fight or flight response and um, also if there's any trauma or any event, like in my case, that s- synthesized the person to responding negatively to situations that are similar to the initial triggering event that caused the problem in the first instance, then we need to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd have to talk about mentally rehearsing the um, uh, the future event, you know, the, the speech or whatever that may be, um, in a way that is going to help the person recondition themselves so that this time when they go out there, instead of repeating the original, the problem, um, they're actually going towards the solution. You know, there's a bunch of other things that we can do as well that would involve 
um, letting go of worry, letting go of uh, what if thinking, staying in the present moment, stopping negative thoughts, you know, uh, learning how to come back when we become self-conscious so we can get back into flow. All of these things, you know, I would do, um, but it always starts with those basics, you know, understanding conditioning, fight or flight response, dealing with any traumatizing or sensitizing mm -hmm. events, and then learning how to talk to yourself um, and how to rehearse, uh, it, mentally rehearse the event before it even happens. Okay, mentally re rehearsing. Yes. Do you know what I mean by that? I think you have to explain us. <laughs> <laughs> so what is so, the difference between yeah, yeah mentally and, and really rehearsing? So so it's different because okay, mm -hmm. so if you were to play say uh a instrument, um if it was possible, you know, to play mm -hmm. I don't know, a flute or something like that in an MRI scan okay and measure what the brain does and if you were then to do the same thing but you're not without the flute so you're just imagining playing the flute in the MRI and you're in the MRI scan what you find is that there's very little difference between the first and the second scenario and this is because basically the brain doesn't really see the difference between imagining doing something and doing it for real. So what we want to do is we want to actually rehearse doing um, the whatever it is that we want to be able to do first in our minds mm. as we want it because that conditions us to repeat that when we are in the real scenario. But it's important to rehearse it in the positive light because a lot of people you know, what they do is effectively they self-hypnotize themselves without realizing in a negative way mm. by repeating in their mind the, the scenario that they don't want. So mm. they think, you know, oh, what if I um, screw up the speech? What if my throat gets all parched and I forget yes. the words? What if I make a fool out of myself? What if everybody starts laughing in the middle of the performance? And then... As soon as we start saying these things to ourselves, these words get translated into pictures and our mind goes, okay, this is what we're going to do because the mind is always listening and it, it does what it thinks we want it to do. So if we feed it all this negative self-talk and this negative imagery, that's what we're going to get. So we want to flip it the other way and we want to start saying to ourselves and imagine very proactively with as many details as possible what we want to do when we're on stage you know how do we want to feel how do we want to walk how do we want to talk how what are we going to think you know what is the how we're going to present the whole thing and when we do that repetitively we're actually conditioning ourselves because repetition is also a key mm -hmm. to learning does that make any sense Yes, I think it does. It does. Um, I, I think it's definitely, uh, of course, rehearsing is very important. And But as you said, if you are in this mindset that things are going to fail, well, in the rehearsal will probably fail as well. It will take you more time yeah. uh, until <laughs> things are working well. So, yeah, it's a definitely an uh, excellent, excellent practice to try. I haven't tried. Well, I might done it consciously a few times, but 
not consistently. So it, I, I think, sounds uh, like a very good practice. Yeah, and the, and the other thing is, that if you do this uh, while while you are relaxed in an inward, uh, fo- inwardly focused state, uh, such as is hypnosis, you're bypassing the critical conscious mind, and so you're going directly to where all this conditioning gets formed anyway. Because if mm. you address if you don't do this, then your critical conscious mind can start interfering and say, you know, ah, oh, this is never going to work, and you know, you might as well stop now, and all those negative messages are going to interfere. So that, um, how you call it, mind mind rehearsing, or what? How do you call it? Yeah, me- mental rehearsal. Men- That's mental rehearsal. So mental rehearsal is already hypnosis. Yeah, pretty much. You know, if you are in a state of mind that you are in which you are relaxed and mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're focused, you're concentrated, mm-hmm. um, then effectively you're in hypnosis. You might be in a very light hypnosis, but you know, the the uh, how deep the hypnosis is is not really relevant. What's relevant is that you are focusing on this idea with as much concentration as possible. So you know, you're not thinking about your dinner, what you're going to do later. Uh, you're actually fully 100% uh, thinking about this scenario and you are really engaging all the senses. So you're imagining, you know, being there, the colors, the smells, the, you know, even a sense of touch if you can, you know, involving all of the senses. When you mentally rehearse, when you remember anything, Mm -hmm. you're already in an hypnotic state. Okay, <laughs> quite interesting. And what about uh, depending the the level of, of the speakers? More in terms of let's say experience, because those normally you know, it's not always like that. But normally, the more experience you have, you have less of this fear of speaking. So some people mm-hmm. suffer more, some people suffer less of this fear of speaking. How do you address these different levels? Well, such you know, it's important that you're talking about experience. I think it's uh, about the type of experience that you have, rather mm-hmm. than the amount of experience. Right. Because you know, um, some people say, well, you know, what's necessary is, is to use something that is called in cognitive in, in cognitive behavior circles uh, exposure therapy. Okay, exposure therapy means basically that you expose yourself to the triggering situation, you know, the situation that triggers your fear. But that's all well and good, uh, but but it depends how you then react. Because, you know, if you expose yourself to a fear and you freak out, then it's only going to make it worse. So that's why it depends on the types of experiences. So if an, a speaker is very experienced, but every single time he or she goes on stage, they have a, a negative experience or a lot of the time they have a negative experience, then effectively it's just as bad as someone who's never been on the stage uh, and is terrified of of going in fact it might be even worse because they've got all these experiences that are stacked together and they've conditioned uh, the person to believe that that's just the way it's going to be you know um, so really um, I would say if someone regardless of the experience they have is terrified of speaking or is convinced you know that it's never going to change mm. um then 
then then I would put them in one basket and we'd have to deal with all those things that I described beforehand, you know, figuring out where is this anxiety coming from? You know, is it just that they are mentally rehearsing negatively, negatively thinking about the event, negatively talking to themselves about the event? Is there a sensitizing event that made this start, you know, or any trauma around it, you know? what's actually uh are, are they panicking are uh, what's going on and if it, that's not the case and instead it's a matter of okay you know they've been on stage many times it's not that bad but what's happening is that they're not really enjoying it mm. they're not really giving a hundred percent maybe they're really good at you know their subject matter but once they're on stage they just kind of fall apart a little bit and, and they don't deliver as much as they could well, that's a different basket then, because that's more about mastering uh, the stage rather than, you know, actually overcoming panic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I ask you this because there are so quite different um, different levels or different types of uh, fears of speaking. Some some people uh, have more or have less. Everybody needs some some help to to do better and enjoy better because some people. Yeah. Like you, you love um, uh, singing, playing music, and, and you, you struggled so much in the past. And the same today are, are many guys who like to like to speak, that like to share their ideas, but suffer, struggle, so excellent. Absolutely, it, absolutely, yeah. Sounds that it's pretty wide, the things that are needed or can can be done in order to, to help to, to mitigate the, the fear of speaking. Uh, but if you could... Uh, Let's say if, if you meet someone, yeah, you let's say you admire you you or you care, maybe you know you care, and have just a few minutes to tell her one best piece of advice about fear of speaking. What would you say? Well, I think the most important thing is to know how to calm yourself down. You know, if you know how to switch off the fight or flight uh, response then you're going to be able to think more clearly because when you are in a, a fight or flight mode, basically your alarm system is on, um, your amygdala is flooded you know, with cortisol, adrenaline, you're going to you, you might even hyperventilate. You know, a bunch of bad symptoms will happen. And the most important thing as well is that um, the, the alarm center of the brain, the amygdala, will send inhibitory signals to the prefrontal cortex, which is basically the um uh, the executive part of the brain where you can think rationally and that's that means that that part is is off it's not completely off but you know you start speaking you start thinking in black and white terms and life or death terms and it's impossible to get you to get yourself to think rationally you know so if someone if you're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack is, and someone says, oh, don't worry, it's okay, it's going to be all right. You know, this person's not going to be able to listen to you. You know, is not going to be able to really uh, take it in because of this uh, fight or flight response. So the most important thing is to at least uh, switch that off so that you can start talking to yourself in more mm -hmm. positive ways, right? So to switch it off, there's two ways to switch it off. One which might be more practical if you're already on stage and the other one which can be used beforehand. And you can use a combination of the two. So basically, briefly, um, the the first one 
is to do with aerobic exercise. So you need to, you know, back in the jungle, if there was a lion there uh, that was threatening you, you had to either kill it or run away. Mm-hmm. So uh, after you did one of those two things, you you would have um, engaged in, in some kind of aerobic exercise, and then your body would know, okay, threat is over, time to relax. And it would switch off the um, sympathetic nervous system, which is what's engaged when you're in a fight or flight uh, situation. So, so one alternative, you know, if you could, um, one good way uh, to deal with the panic is if you feel it coming on, is to actually do aerobic exercise. So say, you know, go up and down the stairs 10 times, mm-hmm. do some start jumps. But of course, you know, this isn't always practical or possible. So if you can't do that, uh, the next best thing is to uh, engage in diaphragmatic breathing. So this means breathing from the belly, uh, breathing through your nose, very important, and making sure that you do this for five minutes. Because if you do it for five minutes, it's absolutely scientifically impossible to have a panic attack. So if you keep going, if you're really having a panic, it will diffuse it. And if it's just coming on, it will prevent it. Or even if you, you don't feel it at all, but you're afraid it might happen, you can do the diaphragmatic breathing for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so diaphragmatic breathing. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us now about your, your book. You have a book. Uh, it's called Dare to be Seen. Yes. So Dare to be Seen is basically the book I was mentioning at the beginning that I wrote because I wanted to apply the principles uh, of my sessions to myself. So it's it's a book that comes with an online course. And the online course is basically 10 hypnotic sessions that are already recorded. So that the person, you know, if you if you have performance anxiety, all you need is to read um, this book and you can either make the sessions up yourself at home or um, if you want them made already, I basically made it easy and recorded them myself. And so all of the things I'm talking about are in the book so there's 10 sessions and they they the book is for that first basket for that category of people that was talking about before that is absolutely terrified mm-hmm. of going on stage even though you know some of the um exercises are also relevant for somebody who is just only a little bit um nervous but it's the book itself is for basically anyone who suffers from anxiety and it gives a a background um, and an understanding of what those, you know, those things I was talking about before are like, you know, what conditioning is, what hypnosis is, how the mind works, and so on and so forth. Excellent. So, there to be seen. Elisa, could yes. you now share with us what is your favorite quotation? Um, well, I thought about it and... Um, I think I'm going to say um, it's it's a quotation from Marisa Pierre, who is a hypnotherapist. And she always says, you are enough, not because you did or said or thought or bought or became or created something special, but because you always were. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really important because it's at the base of fear of rejection is the fear of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. So the, the best thing we can do is to actually repeat to ourselves all the time, we, I am enough. I am enough. And even looking at the mirror can be a good thing to do. Just looking at the mirror and say, I'm enough. Not because of what I've done, mm-hmm. but just because I exist. Yeah. 
Yes, very good with a good quotation. I haven't heard it before. So now could you recommend us one book that has been for you special, uh, influential, inspiring? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins. You know, if I could uh, afford going to one of his uh, <laughs> seminars, I'd definitely go. Um, he's a bit, you know, over-the-top American, but uh, I think he essentially is, is really good at his job. And um, I really like this his book, um, Awaken the Giant Within, mm-hmm. which has got a lot of NLP and hypnosis in it, even though it doesn't really, it, you know, it doesn't say that he uses those techniques, but really that's what he's doing. So um, I found it quite inspirational, and um, I would recommend it for sure. Mm-hmm. So this is Awaken the Giant Within. Uh, Awaken the Giant Within by Anthony Robbins. Okay, perfect. So finally, I would like to ask you, as I always ask at the end, share with us an exercise, something practical that we should do it regularly, a routine to shine. Yes, well, I would say uh, probably the best would be to uh, do diaphragmatic breathing. Um, and uh, one way of learning how to, to um, do diaphragmatic breathing is to actually uh, first practice with a yogic kind of breathing, which is alternate nostril breathing, which basically means uh, you you put a finger, for example, the index finger on, um, say, your right nostril. You take a Uh, breath in through the nose, closing your mouth, nice deep breath in. Then you close both nostrils and then you breathe out through um, the other, the right nostril. And uh, when there is no more hair left in the lungs, then you take a deep breath in from the right nostril again, close both and breathe out through the left nostril. And doing this teaches you a little bit about breathing deeply through the nose. It's not diaphragmatic breathing, but it's a good beginning. And then when you've got a sense of what that is, because most of us breathe through our chest without even realizing, then um, you can start the diaphragmatic breathing. And it's a good idea to put a hand on your belly just to make sure that every time you breathe in, you are expanding the belly. So it's like you are inflating a balloon and your belly is like a balloon you're inflating is moving outwards. And then when you breathe out, it's deflating the balloon. And you really take your time. You can even um, use numbers, making sure, for example, that you breathe in, say to the count of four, you hold the breath for a count of four, you breathe out to the count of eight or more because the out breath needs to be longer than the in-breath. And you just repeat this, and I would start, you know, just one minute, just to see, get a hang of it, and then two minutes, three minutes. And if you suffer from anxiety, it's a good idea to do this every day for five minutes. You know, everybody can take five minutes out of the day. It's a good way to really calm your system down. And so that whenever you really need to, you already conditioned yourself to, to know how it works. And so in a possible panic situation, you're not going to panic at all because immediately you can do this breathing. Of course, there's a bunch of other things I could, you know, recommend, but we don't have time for it. But this one is just the basic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's, it's always great to to remind us about this, this deep breathing, the diaphragmatic breathing. 
So thanks a lot for this uh, and for everything you have shared. Very fascinating your story and these ways to deal with the fear of speaking. So please let us know how we can find find about you on the net. What are the best ways? Well, um, just for your listeners, you know, I wanted to um, to give your listeners a, a gift, a special gift. Um, so I decided to just make a page um, which uh, you will get. Uh, anyone basically with this address will get a free um, copy of my book. So the the place to go is tinyurl.com slash there to be seen. So that's tinyurl.com slash there to be seen. And uh, if you want to know more about me, you can just um, go to uh, hypnotichealing.co.uk as well. And there's a plethora of information there, including my book and courses and all, all sorts of other fascinating things and blogs and writing. Excellent. Thanks a lot for, for sharing your book. I definitely will go also and get it and read it. Thanks a lot for that. And yeah, I wish you all the best. And that's very, very interesting. And I'm sure many people in listening to this podcast will find very insightful information on your website and on your course and your book. Thank you very much, Oscar. It's been a real pleasure. And, um, you know, I would urge anyone with anxiety or performance anxiety to, to know that it's not a life sentence. You can actually overcome it and you don't have to have it for the rest of your life. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot for all this and all the best. All the best to you as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time, 